Well, good morning. Uh, my name's Jason. If you don't know me, I'm the youth and young adult pastor here, and I'm excited to celebrate this last day of uh, 2023 here with you all. Excited you all are here. I just, you know, got used to not writing 2022 on stuff, and we're going to have to change that to 24 already. Kind of hard to believe. Uh, but have you ever had, question for you this morning as we start, have you ever had something that uh, you needed to do or wanted to do, uh, needed something to happen, and life got in the way of it. Maybe a promotion at work, a new job you wanted to take, a bucket list item, uh, and something got in the way of your goal. Uh, For Lauren and I, my wife, we uh, bought a house in the beginning of December, and so we've been starting uh, to, you know, make it ours, do some renovations, change some things up, and uh, they were things that I said, oh, this will just take like a day, right? And they... Okay, so some of you have done that, right, and said that same thing like me. Um, Like, I started uh, refinishing the hardwood floors upstairs. Never done it before, learning on the go here. And I was like, oh, this will take like a day. We'll have it done real quick. We're almost at the end of December now, and that day has taken this long. We're not there yet, right? So some things have gotten in the way. Work, but not just that. Family, Christmas, and then four weeks go by, and we're here where we are, and that day project is taken all month. Uh, And that happens in life, right? With projects, things like that, goals, life gets in the way. But today, from this passage, what we're going to see from the Bible, I want us to understand that we can't let life get in the way of our mission spiritually. We can't let those things get in the way from stopping us to do what God wants us to do. And today, we're going to continue this series in Luke, and Luke is investigating the real Jesus. He's taking a look through his gospel, and it's really cool because he hits on a lot of things that maybe the other gospels don't cover or get into as deep, and, and we get to continue in here and finish chapter 2. We're going to pick up where we left off last week, right after the birth of Jesus, the Christmas story, and if you've missed any of these or other series, you can catch back up online as well. Um, But all throughout this series, we'll see Luke doing just what the title is, investigating Jesus, teaching us more about who he is. And he, in this chapter today, chapter 2, is really pointing out both Jesus' deity, that he's God, but also his humanity as well. And so we've got to move quickly today. We've got about 30 verses to cover, so I should get you out of here by tomorrow morning if we're fast. Um... And uh, we've got about 12 years of Jesus' life to cover in this passage as well, so we're going to see a lot. So let's jump right in. Um, Verse 21 is where we'll pick up, and we're going to see Jesus presented in Jerusalem. There's Bibles on the rows. You can read there, Luke 2, or it'll be up on the screen as well. The Bible says, And when eight days had passed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days for their purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons." So here, about eight days after his birth, Mary and Joseph bring Jesus to Jerusalem, to the temple, to present him to the Lord. And these are some ceremonies they take place that if you study Old Testament law, these are some things that God commanded new parents to do. So God commands them to go there to to, to take care of these things. And Mary and Joseph are following through on that. They're doing what God wanted them to do as new parents. 
It's also when Jesus gets his name here. They name him Jesus, like the prophecy said, hey, he's going to be the Messiah. His name will be Jesus. Uh, And his name means the Lord is salvation. Uh, And I think that's cool, and we'll see more about that as well, because it tells us who Jesus is and what his mission is. But while they come to the temple to take care of these ceremonies, we meet some interesting people. Uh, The first one is a man named Simeon, and we'll pick up here and read a little bit about him. The Bible says, verse 25, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So this first uh, man that Mary and Joseph and Jesus meet is named Simeon. And and Simeon here, we know next to nothing about him. Uh, We don't know his occupation, where he's from, who his spouse was. All we know is that the Holy Spirit told him to be in the temple and that the Holy Spirit told him he wasn't going to die till he saw the Messiah. We also know the things that matter the most to God, his character, his, his faith, are the things we're told about him. The Bible tells us he's righteous and devout. This speaks of his personal walk with the Lord and his integrity before other people. We're told of his faith and his hope. He's looking for that consolation of Israel, the Messiah, the Savior. He's also filled with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit came to him and said, hey, Simeon, you're not going to die till you see Jesus. And then he sees the Lord and he proclaims him as well. He then goes on and he, he, he uh, gives a prophecy and tells what Jesus is going to do. And we'll kind of come back to that towards the end as well today. But if you jump down a few verses farther, we meet the second person that they meet, Anna. The Bible says there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. And then as a widow to the age of 84, she never left the temple serving night and day with fastings and prayers. At that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak to him, or to speak of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. We see Anna, and we find out a little bit more about her. She's a prophetess. Uh, She was married for seven years. Her husband died, uh, and she lived out the rest of her life until here, where she's 84, as a widow, in the temple, praying, fasting. She devoted her life to serving God in that way. She could have gotten remarried, she could have lived a normal life, done any number of things, but she dedicated her life to looking for Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior, and praying for her people to seek God. You see, it's kind of interesting that it seems kind of random at the beginning of this chapter that we meet these two people that we've never heard anything else about in the Bible, but we get to see two people who devoted themselves to the Lord, and they're going to be Uh, a little bit different than some other people we're going to see in the rest of the passage. And it gives us a little bit of a contrast of people who were making sure nothing got in the way of their mission in life. As we continue on, we, we begin to see some time pass, and Mary and Joseph and Jesus return to Nazareth. Verse 39 and 40, When they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own city, of Nazareth. 
Now, verse 40 here, the child continued to grow and become strong, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. We're going to kind of focus in on that verse for a moment here. Mary and Joseph, Jesus, they return back to Nazareth. Um, uh, the gospel account in Matthew gives a little bit more of this. It tells us about the wise men visiting, and it tells us about um, them going to Egypt for a while. We don't see that here, but uh, they return here, and basically, verse 40, 12 years goes by. All we know of Jesus's childhood is right there, verse 40, the child continued to grow and become strong, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. We don't see anything else about young Jesus. Luke here is, like I said in chapter 2, he's going to take the time to show us Jesus' humanity and his deity. And here, he's showing us Jesus' need to increase in strength and grow in wisdom. You know, it's interesting because God is, like we said, fully 100, Jesus is fully 100% God and fully 100% human. And I don't know if you guys are great at math like I am, but I think that's 200%. Together, you're tracking with me on that math, okay? Uh, typically, 100% is 100%. You don't go above that. 100% is total, right? So 200%, it kind of starts to blow my mind a little bit, and kind of I struggle with that math right there, right? But here, Jesus knows everything. 100% God, he's increasing in knowledge. You see, Jesus here is giving us an example for ourselves as humans. Think about John 16, Jesus tells us he, he went through life and he knows it's going to be problematic for us. We're going to face trials. We're going to face problems. We're going to face hardships. But he tells us, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Jesus here says, I've lived a whole life. I increased in wisdom. I increased in knowledge. I increased in strength. I lived through it. I know how you can get through it. Jesus is giving us an example of spiritual growth in life. Jesus went through life's challenges and he grew by doing life God's way, by doing things the way God wanted him to, and he's our perfect example of how to live. You know, the Bible says during this time, Jesus grew in wisdom. He allowed his human side to grow in wisdom, and, and if Jesus needed to grow in strength and wisdom, I think we could say we probably need to grow in wisdom as well, right? So your next question might be, well, how do we get wisdom? Look what the Bible says, James 1.5. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. The Bible says, ask for it. Where else do we find wisdom? In God's word. So we ask God for it, and then we've got to go put some effort in and read and study God's word. But you see, it's not one or the other or neither. It's both together. It's studying God's word. It's putting the effort in and also praying and asking God to give us wisdom. None of us have arrived. There's growth and room for growth and wisdom for all of us. I also see one more interesting thing here about Jesus, uh, of what's mentioned here. We aren't focused on Jesus learning Joseph's trade of carpentry. We know Joseph's a carpenter, and we know Jesus probably learns that as well, but we're not seeing that here. Luke doesn't say, and Jesus went back to Nazareth, and he learned carpentry, and, and he was all state on the football team, and he did this, made some good friends in school. It doesn't mention anything about what's going on in his life. It mentions that he grew in wisdom. The, the spiritual growth was the most important thing for us to see and understand. 
You see, for us, our career, our, what we're doing here, our, our, our fun things we enjoy, our hobbies, these aren't the reason we're here. The reason we're here as Christians is to glorify God, to share the gospel, and make disciples of others. And we'll talk about this a little bit more. Well, the next part where this passage picks up is Mary and Joseph going to Jerusalem in verse 41. The Bible says, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And you might be familiar with this story, but we'll walk through it and kind of see what we can take from this. The Passover feast they're going to celebrate uh, was remembering back when uh, the nation of Israel was um, enslaved by the Egyptians and um, God is trying to get Pharaoh to let his people go and he's sending plagues and all of this. And finally, the last plague is whoever doesn't uh, sacrifice a lamb, put blood on their doorpost, an angel is going to kill your firstborn son. And so the Israelites who trusted in God, God spared their son and brought them out of Egypt. So every year they celebrated the Passover. They're celebrating what God did for them. We celebrate Christmas and Easter kind of similar ways. And so God attended, God commanded them to attend several of these festivals, uh, these celebrations in Jerusalem a year. Um, And by this time, though, a lot of them didn't live close to Jerusalem. Mary and Joseph lived almost 80 miles away, and they would have had to walk there. So they would probably attend once a year, and they chose Passover to attend. Now, again, that 80-mile journey walking was dangerous because of uh, people along the pathway. We looked at that the last couple weeks. So they would likely caravan there with neighbors, friends, family, go in big groups. uh, And it was a good time going that way. So let's see more about their journey. Verse 42. Uh, And when he became 12, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. So I told you, Jesus, we're going to see up to 12 years old today. He's 12. uh, And we're unsure if this is Jesus's first time going, if Mary and Joseph waited to take him until he was 12, or if he'd gone many times before. Um, We know that Mary and Joseph probably had other children too, probably about this time. So more than likely, the whole family's going. They're journeying from their small, tiny town of Nazareth, to Jerusalem, the capital city, where there's thousands of people celebrating this. The best way I can, I can kind of get our minds to wrap around what this is like, because you've got to think about what this is like for Jesus and, and his siblings leaving Nazareth and going to Jerusalem. It would be like picking a small town in Ohio and saying you've lived there your entire life, you've never gone outside of it, and I'm going to pick one. Don't be offended if you're from there. Um, I'm just picking one that until about two years ago I didn't know existed. Graytown, Ohio, right? Yeah, some of you are from, but imagine you've never left Graytown. You've never left it. And then your parents say, all right, your family says, we're going to go to New York City for the day. There's going to be some culture shock, right? Some, some differences. It's going to be like, whoa, this is a lot different than <laughs> central Ohio is here, right? Um, and so that's kind of what's going on here. But think about the fun it would have been, the good it would have been. They were there for a week celebrating. Now then uh, we see what happens as this feast is winding down, as their celebration's winding down, uh, they begin to return. And as they're returning, After spending the full number of days, a week there, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents were unaware of it. Now, again, uh, they didn't know where he was. Now, why? You're probably going, well, how did the parents not know where they were? They're traveling in a big caravan. There's a bunch of people. And so 
Joseph thought Jesus was with Mary. Mary thought he was with Joseph, or maybe they both thought he was with all the kids kind of walked together. Like, no big deal, right? They trusted Jesus. There would be some trust in him here. They weren't going to make him hold their hand and walk all the way back to Bethlehem. They're like, we're good. We're in the big group. He's with family and friends. No doubt Mary and Joseph were uh, uh, just kind of trusting him and knowing, okay, he's going to be good. Now, a lot of people will say, oh, well, this is Jesus sinning here. He, he didn't tell them where he was, and that's not the case. It's probably the exact opposite. They trusted him, so they weren't, you know, checking in like that. They also didn't have, you know, Apple AirTags on their kids and texting them in their location, Life360, to know exactly where they were back then either. And, and look at verse 43, uh, the next one, um, verse 44, sorry, but supposed him to be in the caravan, and they went a day's journey, and they began looking for him among their relatives and acquaintances. So this is how long it took them to find Jesus. So think about this here uh, on a practical level here, though, right? Uh, me, my wife, Lauren Hagen, we're taking some of our students to Kalahari next weekend, right? right? And this is all a hypothetical. We've never lost a student before. We're good at that. You know, we, we check in with them. But imagine we take them all to Kalahari, and Sunday morning, we wake up. It's time to come back, and I just trust that Hagen's got all 11 of our students, and he trusts that Lauren has them, and she figures I have them. And so we all leave and come back here to Northwood with none of your students, all 11 of them. We, we trusted them. We knew that we, some of you might like that to happen, and for an extra fee, we can leave them. That's not forgetting them, though. Um, no, I'm just kidding. That wouldn't be good, right? That'd be bad if we left all of your students. Uh, okay, most of you would say that would be bad. No, really, here's Mary and Joseph, though. They're thinking about all the things that got to take place as they're, they're going back, and they're trusting that Jesus is over here, and they're assuming, okay, he's with them, and they go a day's journey. Now, a day's journey for them is probably 20, 25 miles, and then they start to realize we haven't seen Jesus in a while. Now, if I make it to Monday morning of next week and didn't bring your students back here, um, and that's when we realize that it's partially on you because you should pick them up Sunday when we get back here. So if Monday morning's when we realize it, we've all made a big mistake there. But Mary and Joseph, it takes them a day. That wouldn't have been that abnormal because he was probably with someone else. So they start checking with family. Hey, have you seen Jesus? Friends, have you seen him? And nobody knows where he's at. Nobody's seen him. And so Mary and Joseph, verse 45 when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. So I want you to think about that now. They've gone a day's journey, 20, 25 miles, and they haven't seen him. As a parent, think about what's going through their mind right now. They haven't seen their kid in a day, and now they've got to walk a day's journey back, probably moving a little quicker than the journey out. But still, think about the fear, the anxiety going through their mind. Where is he? What happened? How did we let this happen? And we're probably looking at him going, oh, how could they lose their kid? How, how on earth did they do that? What else were they possibly thinking about? Well, think about as they're leaving. They're leaving this festival. They're leaving this week-long celebration of what God's done for them, and they're probably doing what we do when we head back from a trip. They're thinking about all the things they got to get done when they get back. Life, right? Mary's like, oh, we got to get everything back together in the house. We've got all this stuff to do, all this stuff to unload. Joseph's like, oh man, it's been a week away from the carpentry business. I've got all these customers who are going to be backed up. Uh, I've got to mow the lawn, take care of the animals. Like, right, all the things we think about when we go away. They're thinking about getting back to life. That was the main focus for them. And it sounds a lot like our lives. 
the thing, thinking about what we need to get done. I'm sure none of you are thinking about the things you got to get done this afternoon right now. Um, I've never been there and never done that, at least definitely never during Pastor Harold's sermons ever before, right? I'm not thinking about the things I got to get done today, this afternoon, right now. No, 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 no. We've never done that. That's never happened to us. But that's where probably Mary and Joseph are at. They're thinking about all those things. Life's taking place, and then they realize they lost Jesus. And after three days, they find him. The next verse, then after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. Where do they find Jesus? They find him sitting in the temple, talking to the priest and the teachers, discussing the Bible, theology, asking them questions, and not just questions about nothing, but questions that the next verse tells us impressed the teachers because he had great knowledge. So what can we learn from Jesus here? Well, look at Jesus's conduct. Again, so often people try to say he was sinning here, and we're going to see the opposite of that. He could have done anything he wanted. They looked for him for three days. They were gone walking for two days. Jesus has been without his parents all alone in Jerusalem for days. Woo! Right? Like, no parents, no authority. He could do whatever he wanted. And he goes to the temple to talk about the Bible and theology with the teachers. He went to school to learn on his own with no parents there. That's what he did. He went to church to talk about the Bible. Listen, for all of us, whether you're a kid or a student and even an adult here, when we don't have any authority present, what we do during that time is so important. You don't have to spend all of your time when your parents aren't home coming and discussing theology with me and Pastor Harold and Josiah, but you can. It's fun. We like it. Um, You don't have to do that, though, but keep in mind how we act when no one's looking is so important. Jesus sought wise counsel during this time. Not that Mary and Joseph couldn't teach him anything or, or their teaching was meaningless, but Jesus went and found the teachers in the temple who could teach him the things he needed and wanted to learn. He went out and found a way to learn more about God so he could continue to fulfill God's plan for him on the earth. And for us, we should be seeking wiser, older Christians, people who have been saved longer, who can come alongside of us and help us out in life, teach us how to study God's word, how to make it through hard times. Jesus' primary focus was on spiritual things. He wasn't worried about getting back to his job or uh, his friends or helping Joseph with carpentry. He was worried about focusing on God's plan for his life. Again, I said verse 47, they were amazed at Jesus' teaching. Uh, all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Um, again, he's God. The way he was, was talking at that young age was impressive. But then Mary and Joseph finally find him. Verse 48, when they saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. Uh, when they finally found him, Mary says they're astonished. Essentially, they are beside themselves. They are, they are just overwhelmed. Um, and Mary makes this statement kind of trying to rebuke Jesus. Like, why have you put us this way? We've never felt this before. We were terrified that we couldn't find you. Obviously, the thought of losing a child terrified these parents. But she uses this word, behold. She's trying to get his attention 
And again, I, I don't want us to say, one, Jesus wasn't sinning here. We'll see in the next verse exactly why not. But Mary and Joseph weren't necessarily wrong in their fear here. If you lost your child for five days, you'd probably have some righteous fear here to be terrified, not knowing where they're at. They're not necessarily wrong here either, but neither is Jesus. Why? Look at Jesus' response to them in verse 49. Uh, He said to them, Why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? Number, first off, this is Jesus' first recorded words in the New Testament. Kind of cool. And he says, why are you looking for me? It's a Jewish idiom. Uh, basically, he's expressing like, like kind of in a way shock of like, uh, why didn't you know this is where I would be? Like, you should have known this. Uh, we all understood this. I, I was going to be here in the temple learning about God. They should have expected that I've been here. It would be like if you call me tomorrow night at 5 p.m. Like, Jason, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm watching the Rose Bowl because Michigan's playing, and it's a big game. And you're like, why are you watching that? I'm going to be like, what, seriously? If you know me, I'm watching the Rose Bowl tomorrow night. Like, that's a big deal for me, right? I'm going to be like, how did you not expect that? That's what Jesus is saying here. How did you not know what I was going to be doing? He's saying, I must be doing this. It's, it's a sense of inevitability. He's setting his commitment for his relationship with God being priority over his relationship with his earthly family. Jesus is setting a precedent that God comes before our earthly family, our earthly relationships. Essentially, our most important relationship has to be our relationship with God. And, and this is a hard topic to say, a hard topic to talk about, right? Uh, because we want to be close with our family, our friends, our relationships here. But Jesus is saying, hey, this is first and foremost. Not that he put aside his parents' authority, because we'll see the exact opposite in a moment. Later on, he submits to them. But rather, he's telling them that God's authority over his life is the most important. And it's the same for you and I as well. God's authority in our lives is the most important. Obviously, if you're a kid here still living in your parents' household, their authority is important to you, and this is not giving you the right to disobey them. But what it's saying is, regardless of whether the authority in your life obeys God or not, it can't stop you from doing it. Regardless of whether any other relationship in your life obeys God or lives life the right way, you're still required to. Whether your parents do, your spouse does, your kids do, your family, your friends, whoever, you're still to obey God regardless of how they live because nothing can come between ourselves and our relationship with God. So after all this, Jesus gives them this kind of gentle teaching. How did Mary and Joseph take it? Well, verse 50, but they did not understand the statement which he made to them. They didn't get it. They didn't understand what he was trying to teach, right? Like a lot of people in the Bible back then, Mary and Joseph, had these two had angels come to them earlier on, right? 12 years before this and say, hey, you're going to have Jesus, the Messiah. He's going to be the savior of the world. And so like we sing the song, Mary, did you know? And we're like, of course she knew. An angel told her, but she didn't get it, right? Like she didn't understand his reason for, because she knew it deep down. They were told, they knew Jesus was going to be the Messiah, but I guess you could say they didn't really get his mission. They didn't understand what it was going to look like what it was really all about. You know, they could have asked Jesus, hey, what do you need? How can we help you with accomplishing God's will? But they were probably more concerned with getting back to Nazareth and getting back to life. 
Jesus even then takes the moment to explain to them, hey, this is why this is happening. And they're like, oh, okay. And didn't really understand it and walked away, went on back, right? They didn't get it this time. And this wouldn't be the last time that Jesus would explain something to one of his followers and they wouldn't get it. That'll happen all throughout his life. Now, you know, don't give Mary and Joseph quite a hard time either, though, because Jesus is 12 here. We don't see any recorded miracles. We don't know what's been going on, but it's been 12 years since an angel told them this, and maybe they haven't, they haven't seen Jesus do anything yet miraculous. They probably know it in the back of their mind, but how many of us remember all the things that happened last week, let alone 12 years ago, right? So it's a little long. We get it. But, like, it's kind of the same for us too, right? How many times do we hear, oh, well, I know what the Bible says, but I'm going to do it this way anyways, or I know what I heard, or I don't really understand that from the Bible, and it's easier said than done, right? So we've seen Jesus, though. His mission uh, is the most important thing, his mission from God, more important than anything else. But you might be saying, okay, well, what, what was his mission? Well, on the big scale, Jesus' mission, you can look at Simeon's prophecy earlier on in the chapter, verses 28 through 38, and we won't read it, but it's essentially the big story of the whole New Testament all the way through Revelation, right? We're talking about Jesus coming to the earth to die on the cross for our sins, bring salvation to, uh, to the Jewish people, ultimately to the Gentiles. The nation of Israel is going to reject him. Um, uh, a bunch of time is going to go forth. Then uh, Jesus is going to come back, a rapture, and then he's going to rule in Israel for a thousand years during the millennial reign. That's the whole New Testament in like 10 seconds there for you, right? That's the big scale of why Jesus came. Everything that happened, that's his mission. But what about on a, a smaller scale during his younger years here? What's, what's his mission? Look at the last two verses, 51 and 52. He went down with them and came to Nazareth, and he continued in subjection to them, to his parents. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. That first verse, 51 throws out the window that Jesus was sinning. He continued in subjection, honoring their authority, submitting himself to his earthly parents. And then this last verse, 52, and Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. You see, we're all like Jesus going to have to submit ourselves to earthly authority, parents, if we're still kids, bosses, uh, government authorities, whoever it is, just like Jesus had to do. It, it doesn't mean we can push those relationships aside and say, ah, oh, those aren't important. We don't need to obey our parents. Nothing like that. But rather, Jesus here is showing us that one day he was going to have to submit himself to God's will, to die on the cross for us. And that submission for him began right here, submitting himself to his earthly authority at a young age. Started practicing it in the small things here and then began preparing himself for that earthly ministry. Jesus came and lived that whole childhood, prepping himself for what we're going to see throughout the rest of the rest of the book of Luke. Verse 52 tells us that Jesus increased in wisdom. Again, he wasn't just done after that first time in verse 40 when he increased in wisdom. He goes back and is still working on that. It indicates that it's going to take work on our part to grow spiritually, to grow in wisdom. Think about going through a dense jungle with a machete. Nobody's gone through it before. You're clearing a path that takes hard work. That's what spiritual growth looks like. It takes hard work on our part. But Jesus shows how important it is. Verse 52 tells us he grew 
intellectually, physically, spiritually, socially. It's not just about one facet or area of our life. It's all of them in order to be successful. Jesus, the teacher who was eloquently speaking and teaching his disciples and followers, doing miracles, all of these things, when he was young, he was putting in the work to prepare himself for that. Jesus gave us this outline for what spiritual growth should look like. And in order to be successful at spiritual growth, we have to do the things that Jesus did to make him successful at it as well, because he was our perfect example of spiritual growth. And today I want to end this, normally we'll end with takeaways, and you can call these takeaways or examples of spiritual growth, but I want us to focus on that thought. If nothing's going to stop us from uh, completing our mission in life here, or, or what God's called us to do, we've got to continue to grow spiritually. We've seen in this passage today, Jesus fully God, fully man, um, and that he was focused no matter what on doing God's business, the father's plan in life. And we also get to see like this glimpse into his childhood. There's not much written about it, but we got to see that his childhood was focused on growing and preparing for what he was going to do later in life. He allowed his human side to learn so he could give us an example of spiritual growth. And as we head out of this Christmas season, just like Mary and Joseph were celebrating, we head out of this season as we're celebrating and we're getting back to the grind, starting a new year. We're doing it all over again this year. It's important, maybe more now than ever, maybe any time we can start and focus on it to make it about our life, about spiritual growth and our relationship with God and making those more important than anything else. Maybe at this time of year, you're already thinking, what are my, my uh, resolutions for next year? Make it that, to make spiritual growth, to make your relationship with God more important than anything else. How can we do that? Well, here's a few. Uh, spiritual growth takes time, and we must work at it. Just some truths about spiritual growth. Spiritual growth, it takes time, and we have to actively work at it. Jesus was growing in wisdom. He was working at it. It wasn't something that just happened like this. He didn't just lay down with the Bible and know it all. Well, he was God, so he knew it all. But he was showing us that we have to actively work at it. You can sit down next to this by you and never know it. It doesn't just magically work like that. I wish it did. It takes active work. Jesus put himself in places to learn about God. He found ways he could learn about him. Can we do the same here at church? We have plenty of ways to help you grow spiritually. We put them out and make them available. There's classes you can take here. The grow class, serve class, connect class, reach class. You can sign up for them online. They'll help you grow spiritually. We've got Sunday morning church that helps you grow spiritually. Wednesday night Bible studies to help you grow spiritually. We've got the men's leadership group. We've got serving. We've got all kinds of ways to do it, but you have to actively seek it out. Spiritual growth also requires an active interest in God's word. Again, Jesus could have went anywhere he wanted in Jerusalem when he was left alone, but he went to the temple and he sought out to learn from the priests and the Bible scholars. He was actively searching out ways to learn. As a church, we actively try to present those ways that you can learn about God's word, and typically the deeper they go, the Less and less people attend. Let's make that the opposite. Spiritual growth requires an active interest in God's word. Thirdly, spiritual growth should be focused toward God and towards others. 
Jesus grew in favor with God and man. That verse tells us, just like later on, he commands his followers to love God and love others. That was his commandment. If you want to want to do it, uh, love God, love people. That's our goal, right? We can't just simply study God's word, become a Bible scholar, know everything about theology, but forget about growing closer to God and putting it to practice, right? All of that head knowledge of the Bible doesn't do us any good if we're not living it out. If we don't love God and grow closer to him and love others and show them his love, we have to be like Jesus' example. And lastly, maybe you say, well, great, I'm doing all those or I'm on track. Know this last one. Spiritual growth will get off track if we lose focus. If we lose focus, this can get off track so easily. Both Mary and Joseph meant well when they assumed Jesus was with others. They both misunderstood his gentle correction later on. Even godly people who mean well can be mistaken. Later on, the disciples won't always understand what Jesus is saying. Uh, His other followers won't understand it. Just like Mary and Joseph missed it here. We must all maintain teachable hearts and spirits, or we can run the risk of falling off course and slowing down our spiritual growth. We must imitate Jesus in his constant growth throughout his time here like we saw. If we make spiritual growth, living God's way our goal, uh, beginning this new year, making it the most important thing in our life, I have no doubt that God will work in our lives in amazing ways and in our church in amazing ways, But don't let life get in the way of the mission. Don't let uh, the things that are going to happen, the things that come up, derail us from growing closer to God, sharing the gospel with others, and helping make disciples walk with people as well. Don't let life get in the way of our mission this year. Let's go ahead and stand and we'll pray and be dismissed.